is The Unseen, and I'm your host, Mike Cleland. My guest this week is Peter Smith, and we will be talking about the pioneering work of Michael Newton. Peter was the president of the Newton Institute for a decade, and was later appointed director of the Newton Legacy. His role was to continue the integrity and passion of Michael Newton's work, and this became all the more important after his death in 2016. Now, for those of you who may not know, Michael Newton was a PhD, and he developed a therapeutic hypnosis technique to access lives between lives. And he wrote a series of books, and we will be talking a lot about those during this interview. It was his initial book, Journey of Souls, where he introduced the core ideas of his work. Peter addressed this process early in our conversation but I want to take a minute and try to spell it out a little more clearly here in this introduction. Life Between Lives is the name of a therapy technique. In it, the therapist takes the client into a deep state of hypnosis, and they access a sort of eternal realm. And this is the place where the soul goes after death, yet before being reborn into a new body. There are very formal lessons and assessments while in this transition point, and the stories that emerge in this process are remarkable, and many are chronicled in Michael's books. The Newton Method of Life Between Lives Hypnotherapy is the result of more than 25 years of initial research by Michael, and these techniques were fine-tuned with over 7,000 clients. And this research continues on presently via the Newton Institute. And this is the organization that he developed to continue his work. And Peter Smith has been the spokesperson for this organization, as well as a therapist using these techniques. This audio conversation was recorded on Monday, February 10th, 2020. Please enjoy. Peter, I want to thank you so much for saying yes to this interview. It means a lot to me. Oh, it's great to be here, Mike, and I love to take the opportunity to help people understand that there's so much more than they believe themselves to be. You know, I I have been doing this uh, podcast series for Whitley's site for a little over a year now, and in the last month or so, two guests have interrupted me and said, have you read Michael Newton's work? And at first I said no, and then I realized that I actually had destiny of souls i had just bought it i had just purchased it when the woman uh had asked me sharon hewitt roulette when she asked me if i had heard of his work and and i had just bought a book and then it came up the next interview so then i said well i gotta talk to this guy sadly when i reached out to the michael newton institute i i found out that he had passed uh three years ago four years ago now yeah yeah 2016 yeah okay i'm sorry to hear that so and then and I ended up speaking with you. And so I want to explore his work as well as your own work mm-hmm. uh, doing this. Now, I guess we should just start out. You know, what is this work? Well, Life Between Lives is the place where we go between our incarnations, Mike. Past lives have been well-known and well-documented and explored by many people over the years. But Michael Newton developed a process, which he discovered by accident, as many great discoveries happen, 
that there's this place where you can go in between. And he carefully crafted a process over 35 years of research and 7,000 clients that allowed people to be able to, um, you know, just um, explore that place, to go into the past life, to go beyond and into the in-between, the spiritual realm, and make all manner of explorations in there. And this was documented in his book, A Journey of Souls, which, when, when did that come out? Well, Journey of Souls was published in, um, in 1994. It was followed up with um, Destiny of Souls, the one that you've read in around 2001. Um, Michael was in his 60s before he published his, um, his first book, Journey of Souls, and that's because there was so much research and so, robust, so much robustness underneath uh, what he'd been doing. He published in 2004 a book called Life Between Lives because he knew he was getting older and he wanted to publish a textbook of sorts for hypnotherapists. And there's been a couple of books published since. Um, he edited Memories of the Afterlife, which we published in 2009. And just, uh, just before Christmas, just late last year, we published Wisdom of Souls, which is a collection of stories from around the world from our people as well. So uh, his work has grown into being offered in 40 different countries, in 20 different languages, 220-odd therapists um, in all parts of the world uh, are now continuing the work that he started. And so you have to explain. Give us an example of a story that would, would illustrate, you know, just what's happening with these sessions. I'd love to. And, and, you know, there's no more powerful story than the one that brought me to this work. But um, let me give you some context. You know, a client comes into your clinic and they sit in your chair and, you know, it, it might be Mike, let's say. Mike's come to, to do a session and you take Mike on a journey and he ends up in a past life and he might be, you know, um, some sort of a healer in the Middle Ages. And, you know, um, he has a whole persona there and we explore that past life. And then he crosses over and he takes on some sort of a soul persona, which is not Mike, which is not the healer from the Middle Ages, but an immortal essence, a super conscious presence, if you like, that is the immortal aspect of the client who speaks through the client, but still is the client in this incredible symbiotic relationship. So let me give that for context, first of all, and we can ask that soul that emerges in the chair anything. So I read these books. Here's my story. I read these books in a lady by the name of Helen. Um, you know, she went to a colleague of mine and he rang me up and he said, you know, this woman did a bit of weird stuff in the chair. It sounds like those books you talk about all the time. So she came to see me and her name was Helen and she was struggling with stress. She was heading into court the next week against her ex, uh, ex-husband who was, you know, they were fighting for custody of their three beautiful little daughters and all of that as well. And um, she came and she sat in my chair and, you know, uh, we went back to this place where she had, you know, just, um, I guess, flipped into during the session with my colleague. And she moved into this persona called Algae. And Algae told me that she was an immortal soul and she'd been struggling for five lifetimes to break the hold this other soul had on her. And they'd reincarnated a number of times back into human form to learn this lesson. And, you know, I had no idea what was going on, Mark, I've got to tell you. And um, I said to her, you know, when, um, as all good therapists do, you know, when you don't know the answer, just ask the client, given they're in their immortal wisdom. And I said to her, I said, well, what do you need to do to break this pattern? And she said, I just need to forgive. And uh, I said, okay, is that done? She says, yes, it is. Anyway, she came out. We talked about this profound experience. You know, this session had gone for hours. You know, I looked at my watch and about three or four hours had gone. 
so I walked her out to her car, which was in the middle of winter down here in Australia, and you know it was pretty dark. So I walked her out to her car, and she drove off at about seven thirty that night. And I got home, and I just sat in a chair, completely dumbfounded by what had happened. So um, I looked at my watch, and my watch had stopped at the exact moment that our energies had separated, and she'd driven off. Now I thought, well, there's a coincidence. Not that there are any of those really. So I shook my watch, and it continued to uh, give good time for another two years before I replaced the battery. But the interesting thing, Mike, is the outcome of this story. And, you know, I know we want to talk about the benefit of this to people's lives during our chat today. But, um, you know, she rang me the next week and she said, you know, what had happened in the courtroom. She'd walked into the courtroom and he'd been giving her sort of hate vibes from across the the chamber there. And uh, she looked up, she looked him in the eye and she conquered a fear for the first time in all these lifetimes. And she won, the, the judge gave her the house, gave her his car, gave her custody of the three children, and she virtually wiped the floor with him and walked away with her head held high in an energy that she hadn't been able to find for five lifetimes. It was quite a remarkable uh, inauguration into this work for me. And how did he respond? Was he was he bitter? Was he the, the husband? Was he... Well, the- the human part of him wasn't too happy, but I guess inside the soul was smiling because, you know, this is, at the end of the day, this incredible love between souls that happens. You know, our greatest enemies can sometimes be close soul friends who are here to teach us lessons where we work through things together in human form that allow us to be set free at the eternal level. And I'm sure his soul was smiling because the interactions they had in the place of spirit were quite different from what they'd been encountering in human form. And, um, but yeah, it didn't go well for him that day in court. Now, there is a, an overlap between what you're describing here and so many accounts that not, not just within the UFO lore, but I guess just sort of tapping into this other realm, this alternate realm this eternal realm, let's say, you know, where, wherever we are now, we're on this non-eternal realm. We're in this place of, you know, we're linear time and we have a, you know, a birth at one end and a death at the other. And so, yeah. you know, we're stuck here in, in many ways, but there certainly seems to be ways to tap in to this deeper realm. And you are using mm. what seems like just a, a hypnosis technique and then asking certain questions, I guess. Look, it is. It's sometimes described as a hypnosis technique, Mike, but I believe that we're doing so much more. And, you know, having led this work for a long time now and having had my own clinic for many years and having taught this work in different parts of the world, having spun off into the quantum realm, looked at the off-world stuff myself as well. I mean, I just have a different view these days. I believe that this human body is a portal. You know, we're a doorway to so much more. And when we move into our expanded states of awareness, our consciousness is so much, you know, more expansive than our own body. It's like we're not even the tip of the iceberg. It's like we're a grain of sand in this human body and we're really part of our beach. And there are so many expressions of our consciousness in other dimensions, in other forms, that this human part that we're told is all there is. I mean, this is just a start point for us. You mentioned, uh, you know, death before. I'm, you know, I see death as a, as a gateway. Death is the way where we you know, we surrender this husk, if you like, and 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 I'm, you know, I've got loving affection for the human body, and it's the portal that uh, makes everything else possible. So when I call it a husk, it's a term of affection. I like to think, but when we release this uh, this physical form, we're set free into the universe itself to be all that we can be. 
Well, and that's what I was implying, I guess, that, you know, we are in this husk now. We're in this, yeah. you know, husk reality, I guess to say it. So and there's <laughs> limitations to it. And, you know, you get tired and you stub your toe and it hurts. And there's all these issues yeah. and emotional issues. And, Absolutely. you know, they're just the grim reality of day-to-day life and such. But, and yes, to transcend that, you could meditate, you could, you know, make positive affirmations, all kinds of things. But what you're describing is a literally peering through the veil or Mm. not even peering. It sounds like you have direct line of communication into this other realm. Here, quick question. You said you've been teaching this and and as part of the um, Newton Institute. How many people are out there right now doing this kind of work, roughly? We've got a little over 200. We've trained a lot more than that over the years, Mike. And you know, we take people at the uh, the advanced stages of their hypnotherapy career. They've usually been in clinic for a while, and they've usually uh, been past life therapists for a while. Because if you're going to teach people to move outside of time and space, then you know you've got to be able to work within time and space and have some good therapeutic mechanisms behind you. A lot of people come for this work and they're not ready, and they need a little help with some issues in their lives. And then we gradually take them on a journey. So we, um, you know, we're in the the training of you know, quite advanced practitioners. Um, And then when people come and we do a one-week residential, I mean, we sit there and we take these people on their journeys. You both give and receive a session while you're in this one-week residential program. And then you have to submit case studies. And then you've got to be prepared to sit in your clinic for four hours at a time to take somebody on one of these incredible journeys into the afterlife. So this um, this can be quite grueling as a career, but incredibly enlightening. Um, you know, to take somebody home to spirit is a gift you can give these people that they will they will never forget. And you know, I get emails from people years later saying, you know, you did a life between love session for me five years ago, and my life has been forever changed. And I'm thinking, wow, what did that guy look like again? But for for you as the person who's been their tour guide, that's put them in touch with their soul, you know, um, you remain in their memory forever. So there's a lot of responsibility that comes with the work. And as a result, because we're so highly specialised, we've only got about 220 people or so uh, in different countries around the world. We've trained a lot more than that, but sometimes uh, this work is uh, does take a lot out of you. And we've been going for a while now, so a few people have retired, but we've always we've got a bit of a healthy turnover. But we sort of hover around a bit over 200. And what, are you keeping a database of the research? Are you are you uh, archiving and trying to sort of, in essence, crunch the numbers in a way to find the similarities in these accounts? That's a great question. Um, with our people, you know, due to confidentiality in different countries and all of that, we've all got records. Like I'm sitting next to a filing cabinet here with 800 cases in it that are ones that I've done personally. So, you know, we have a lot of... Um, um, duties of confidentiality, code of ethics, all of that, where we've got to keep that stuff. Um, but what we do is we have a way where we keep the numbers and we, we produce those statistics so we know how many we've done around the world. The other thing we do is um, we publish cases. So from time to time, a lot of cases come in from our people around the world and we have a quarterly research journal called, um, you know, um, Stories of the Afterlife that we and, publish. Oh, we usually... Let me just interrupt. Can anyone get access to this research journal? Yeah. Oh, it's okay. It's just yeah. online? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's, a, you know, it's, it's sort of in the form of a newsletter. We have a number of columns from our people in the organization. I do a, a column in the spirit of Michael, it's called. Um, you know, Michael's view of bits and pieces and things that he taught us. So, 
you know, as a director of his legacy, as, as my position in the organisation, that's um, that's something that I do. But we normally publish um, five or six different stories from different countries across a particular theme. So we sort of, if you like, we publish um, somewhere between 25 and 30 stories every year uh, through that quarterly journal. Uh, as I mentioned before, Wisdom of Souls was just published as well, and a lot of our people submitted cases for that. So it's like we're we're doing um, you know anthologies of different themes that are being published, um, but we don't send every single case in to the Newton Institute, though you know we all have our individual databases. Do you meet up every once in a while and sort of like you know talk to your colleagues and say, hey, have you heard about? I'm just going to pick one out of the blue here, like the, the floating orb. Have you heard about floating the floating orb, like throwing the floating orb around? I want to ask that later in the interview, but that was one that struck me when when I read um, Destiny of Souls. Yeah, I'd love to talk about floating orbs, but yes, we have a uh, we have a world conference. We had one in 2017. Uh, we have another one next year, 2021. Uh, these are both in the United States where we gather our people from around the world and we swap ideas and thoughts and look at the latest trends that we're having. And, you know, something that's close to your heart, Mike, is that the last uh, world conference that we had over in Maryland in 2017, the key theme out of that was the number of off-world cases that are coming through in these sessions now of souls that have a lineage across their um, their history, if you like, if we talk in linear time for a moment. We have, um, you know, so many people that have got off-world experience and they talk at length about how they've come to this planet. It's a little bit different for them, but they're here to be part of a big change. But maybe expand on that a little later if you'd like to. Well, we have to take our very first break and we can expand on that greatly after we get back. For free Dreamlanders, you will hear a few commercials. For paying members, we will be right back. We are back on The Unseen with my guest, Peter Smith, and we are talking. I'm here in New York, and he is way across on the other side of the planet in Australia. And before the break, Peter mentioned that there were events and experiences that he called off-world. And this is, this is what I want to talk about right here, right now. So please, if you could give an example of a—now, of a, I keep on wanting to call these sessions. What would you call them? Mm, that'll do. A session, an experience, yeah. In these sessions, an experience emerges, and I've just read um, Destiny of Souls, so I'm, I feel like I'm up to speed on much of this. Within these sessions, an experience emerges that implies the soul certainly seems to have an off-world connection given, given what's emerging. Mm. Well, you know, it's really important to understand that people are here in this particular physical body right now and the only reason that we would explore a lot of this stuff mike is so that you know what value can be added to the life today you know it's great to go off and experience some of these other lifetimes but what does it mean to the person sitting in the chair you know and if i use the example of somebody who's you know got a lot of history in their off world um you know in their off world soul lineage and they've come here to be part of something that's great in terms of a transition of humanity's consciousness or an awakening, a discovering, a disclosure, if you want to call it that. So they've come here at this time to be part of that. And by discovering more of who they are, it brings them peace. For example, somebody who may um, be extra sensitive emotionally, uh, physically, they may not be able to do chemicals or environments, that sort of thing. They come and they discover that, you know, they're more familiar with um, other planets, other dimensions, other places. 
So it was never going to be a natural fit for them here. So the reason they've struggled their whole life is because they're a universal citizen. Now, for you to understand that that's who you really are and to understand that in its deepest authenticity is uh, who you always have been and will always be, then that can set somebody free from some of the dogma of society that's told them they're this or they're that, they're like this. They're not supposed to be different. They're designed to be different. That's why they came here, to change the mix so that humanity could move ahead by bringing something to humanity that wasn't there already. Now, now give me an example of what this... Uh you know, what they're feeling here that sets them apart. I mean, I could I, I could make a little list up, but I want to hear what you, sure. what the list you have come up with that sets them apart. What are they feeling, let's say? Yeah, well, Michael's, uh, Michael's books tell us that, you know, this is a tough planet. And, you know, we've got to get past this, you know, is there life on other planets thing? I mean, for goodness sake, there's a billion stars out there. There's a trillion planets out there. How can there not be life? How can we not live in a universe teeming with life? So let's just take that logical standpoint for the start. And then if you look at the the vibration and the density of some of these worlds, this is a very dense planet. This is a very difficult planet. There's a lot of heavy energy here. We have a history of wars, of killing each other. I mean, this is still going on in the world today. So for any sort of uh, gentle souls from other places to come here, they're really going to struggle in the energy. And here, let me just interrupt. This is something yeah. that shows up over and over again in this lore is that people will say, and I've heard them say it, you go to UFO conferences, people sort of like you have permission to talk about this stuff at a UFO conference. Yeah. You know, your day-to-day life, you might not be able to talk to the, you know, the cashier at the grocery store about these things. But at a UFO conference, you can. And, and people have told me many times that they feel, this is heavy. I just feel heavy in this reality. Yeah. Absolutely, Mike. And it's it's a not a pleasant feeling for them. Yeah. Yeah. And that's because they're used to something so much lighter. I mean, their soul carries a vibration that is higher than what is normally you know, brought into human form. So as a result, they may have a tendency towards shutting down in this lifetime. It might be anxiety, it might be depression, they might withdraw from society to an extent. They are often drawn to nature. Uh, they're drawn to, you know, a, a gentle type of lifestyle rather than a heaviness. They may not do good in crowds. So, you know, at the end of the day, uh, these people just need to be honoured and recognised for the courage that they have to incarnate here to be part of the changes for humanity. And we are seeing, um, you know, an influx of intergalactic souls incarnating into human form to be part of something. And it's coming up in our sessions. It's one of the big changes since Michael originally published his work is that what we call now traveller souls, Michael referred to them often as hybrids in his book. But, you know, that sounds a bit like a car with an alternative type of uh, petrol source or something. So, Oh, we had the term hybrid is all that's thrown all over the UFO community right now. So it has been for yeah, yeah. many decades. So, Yeah. Or we like to we like to call them traveler souls because we want to recognize how far they've come to be part of humanity as a as, you know, one culture, one group, one collective consciousness. So by calling them traveling souls, we're just recognizing they're from elsewhere and we want to welcome them as visitors. Um, having said that, we're all part of humanity as well. But when we look at the this at the end of the day, we are all universal citizens here to make a difference to humanity. We've all taken form to be here as part of some changes. And we've got a heavy change agenda here over a period of time. And, um, you know, the jury's out a little bit on how we're going to get through that. From my from my own research, and I've been doing this. I mean, I have I have been at the outlying fringe, at the at the farthest corner of the of the continuum, way out there, and all the sort of what we would call mainstream or you know pragmatic UFO research is way on the other side. But I'm 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 
all alone. Well, no, there's other people doing fringy work like I am. But one of the things I'm finding, and I talk to a lot of people on the phone, mm-hmm. over email, I talk to a lot of people. And I, when I talk to them, I write on the corner of the page. I just write Reiki. And then I just mm-hmm. wait for them to say it. Not everyone does, but oftentimes they do. Mm-hmm. So is, is, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm going to ask you, is that, have you noticed that as a pattern, people doing Reiki therapy in, your, in the client pool? Yeah, well, let me say, um, you know, I'm a Reiki practitioner and I did the, you know, the third level training there some years ago. It was one of the things, first things I got into. And, you know, Reiki, just by its definition, is universal life force energy. And we are universal life force energy. Um, that's who we are. That's what brings us all together. Reiki is uh, is offered in a way that we, off, you know, the universe offers gratitude from one person to another using that first person as a channel. I think it's a beautiful contribution. And I think that if there was more Reiki in the world and more understanding between people, the world would be a better place. So, you know, we find the further we get into, the, you know, you can call this hypnosis, which has certain connotations, as, as we said off air before, you know, we can we can look at this or we can look at this as an energetic modality that's connecting people through energy, expanding them through quantum entanglement, if you like, to go back to the remembering of an out-of-body experience while they're still in body, which is what I think is a better definition of the life between life state. We're actually having an out-of-body experience while still in body and we're remembering what it's like to go home to the spiritual realm. But all of this can only happen in a universe that's based on energy and consciousness. So I think Reiki is a, a wonderful um, expression of that energy. But my question is, are you seeing in the data pool, let's say, a higher number of, I'll just say from my own data pool, like the number of people who are doing Reiki, who are Reiki therapists is off the charts. Mm. It's like, I'm going to say it. It's over 50% of the people who reach out to me with a UFO story will tell me they are also a Reiki therapist. Okay. Well, I'd have to say there's a heavy overlap into our own practitioner group uh, of our 220 people. A lot of them have done Reiki, reconnective healing, any of that sort of stuff. They've been drawn to those energetic modalities. So I'd have to say, yes, um, we see the same thing. Okay. Very interesting. Hey, do you have a story, like like an account that you could share of one of these traveler souls? Sure. Um, you know, I had one lady who went into this deep state, and, and let me say that, you know, they talk about hypnosis and how people can be directed through hypnosis. When we work with Life Between Lives and we unearth a person into their immortal persona, um, we're just trying to catch up, Mike. You know, it's not like this is typical type therapy where you've got to find the answers. We just, uh, this person is their you know, universal self surfing the fabric of the cosmos itself, being, the, you know, a resident of the spiritual realm, and they're just telling us stuff that's going on, particularly for the human part of them, which they move into the third person, and they talk about the client that they're talking through. It's quite fascinating. Now, if we, you know, if we move into that space, then sometimes we just make notes or we just try and keep up. It's an incredible experience, and it means that, you know, if there's ever a time in your life where a therapist doesn't need to know the answers, it's then. And we see this as more of a facilitation of consciousness rather than therapeutic work anyway. But all of that is just a a bit of preamble to this story. I once had a lady who moved into that immortal sense, and um, she said, um, you know, I'm I'm here. I'm here on a study trip. And I said, well, what are you here to study? She says, I'm here to study the human brain. And the best way to understand um, the human brain was to incarnate so I had one. 
I said, oh, really? How's your research going? She says, well, yes, I'm really learning a lot. And she said, um, do you have any questions? And, of course, this turned the tables on me big time. And I had to try and think of something. And I said, well, um, um, why is it that we only use, say, 15% of our brain capacity? And this look came across her face and she said to me, who told you that? And I said, well, our scientists have told us that we only really use about 15% of our brain capacity, apparently. She says, oh, no. She says, well, your scientists are wrong. I said, how's that? She said, well, they just haven't really invented the machinery to understand what the brain's really doing. And, of course, you know, at that stage it was about eating humble pie and just realising that, you know, I'd showed a little bit of human arrogance there on behalf of the scientific community and that there's always so much more to the picture than, you know, than what we know. And it reminded me of a book, um, a fascinating book that Michael Newton himself put me onto called The Holographic Universe by Michael Talbot. Oh, yes, he, yes. Now, here I'm yeah. going to interject right now. Uh, this yeah, is this is now public record. Uh, the researcher Linda Moulton Howe talked about this. Uh, she rode an airplane with Michael Talbot, who has since passed, and he said to Linda that he had been working with Bud Hopkins and he was a UFO experiencer. Mm-hmm. And all the information, I want to be careful. This is I'm paraphrasing from memory. The information that turned into the book, The Holographic Universe, he said was a series of downloads that came from his UFO contact experiences. So he was seeing a UFO abduction researcher, and he produced this remarkable book, which I remember reading. Good grief, I must have read that in the late 90s. And it had a huge impact on on how I frame reality. Mm, mm, mm. Well, you know, that was great because it it, uh, postulated the theory that the brain is a hologram. And, you know, we keep looking for consciousness in the brain, but, you know, um, consciousness is all around us and everything to do with us is about consciousness and it just shows up in brainwave patterns. You know, it's a result. It's not the source. And, you know, that book by Talbot is, a, you know, it's a classic, I think. For anyone who's interested in the metaphysical, you should read that and the connections back into science that he built through that book. It's just quite remarkable. I agree. I agree. So this lady, um, she came back and she um, she realised that you know she'd come here to study the human brain and um, in this life as a, in her human persona she was an academic that did research. So it was all a beautiful fit for her soul to incarnate as a person who did research because the soul's working away at a different level to what the human is. This is remarkable. This is now when we come back from our second break. We'll have a good long half hour, and we can we can run a bit longer if we need to. So we're not tied down to that half hour. But when we come back, I want to share a few of my own stories. Uh, you'll tap right into them. I'm, uh, you're gonna you're gonna resonate strongly with some of my experiences. Good. With, with I look forward to that. Stuff. Yeah. So for free Dreamlanders, you will be hearing a few commercials. For paying members, we will be right back. We are back on the unseen with my guest Peter Smith. And we are talking to him from Australia, and we are jumping into the deeper waters where his work doing this therapeutic work with past lives um, sort of seems to be overlapping with the lore of the UFO contact experience. I am going to do something here. What I will probably do is tell Peter a story, and I will tell it to him very thoroughly, and I will edit that down because you listeners have heard this story a few too many times, so I apologize. But this is going to tap into the research that he's doing as well as my own direct experience. In 2000, 
and seven, I did a hypnosis session with Mary Rodwell from, and she's English, but she lives in Australia. She's great. Do you know her? Good, good friend of mine. Absolutely. Okay. So this is, yeah, this is interesting. Now, and I also, what I'm going to tell, I'm going to tell a story where, where it emerged that I had a previous incarnation on another planet. Like my life, somehow, some part of my soul, my soul essence, whatever you want to call it, lived a life on another planet. And now I'm here on this planet. And and how that came about, how this, how that came to me is, is interesting. I did a session with Mary and it was a very good session. We tried to cover a lot. So it was a little bit um, like listening to the actual transcript. We jump around a little bit. Now, I also did a session with Yvonne Smith, who is a hypnotherapist and therapist, just a clinical therapist also, but she does abduction research too. And she's in Los Angeles. And we did a session together, but we only focused on this one event, which took place on March 10th, 2013. And the reason I chose this event, because I have no fear surrounding this event. It was completely a pleasant experience for me. And I'll share that with you right now. So, and for this for, for me explaining this, I'm going to mostly talk about what happened with Yvonne, not because one or the other is a better hypnotherapist or a better clinician, but simply that um, the story emerged in a cleaner, more understandable form, uh, the way the transcript plays out. So I'm on Yvonne's couch. She says, okay, let's, let's go back to, that, to the event of that night, March 10th. 2013. So, and so I described lying out under the stars. I was traveling through Southern Utah and I was sleeping out under a beautiful starry night. And this was an event that unfolded around this night that I have since, right after, right shortly after the event, I called this my confirmation event. Like I knew, like all doubts had vanished. It was confirmed for me with this story that I had had UFO contact. And it's like the event itself wasn't that powerful, but it was all these synchronicities and psychic experiences that happened afterward that proved it for me. I can't prove it for someone else, but for me, it was a done deal. Now, she explains like, oh, what's happening? It's like, oh, I'm I'm lying in this ground. It's a beautiful, calm night. The stars are beautiful. I'm really enjoying this. It's a lovely thing. And I look up on this hill and there's this round structure, and it looks just like a flying saucer. It looks just like a landed flying saucer. I can see it clearly. It's on this hill right next to me. And I even said to myself in the moment, I said, I said, this is not through the hypnosis therapy. This is something that really happened. I said, if this was a flying saucer, like I, it would give off some sort of like, you know, flying saucer mojo that I'd be able to feel. And I felt nothing. I said, I'm, it's like a house or something because I felt absolutely nothing. And then. I fell back asleep and I, and this is all from my memory. This is, I fell back asleep. Later I woke up and there was a bright light behind a bush. And this is, and this is where it takes over with the session with Yvonne. And I'm, I'm saying in the session, the transcript I'm saying, I see this light behind a bush and I know it's them. I know it's them. I know it's them. And then I, I say, I'm out. I'm out. I'm, I'm not in my, I'm not in my body. I'm out. I'm looking down at this flying saucer thing, this round structure. I never said flying saucer. I'm looking down at this round structure and it's dark. And I think my body is still in the sleeping bag, but I'm floating above this thing. The next thing I know, I'm like walking in this hallway and it's this round hallway. And, and I immediately recognize 
that I'm short. Now, I'm six foot tall, and I immediately felt like, wait a minute, I'm short. And I look to the right of me, and there's this gray alien. And I look to the left of me, and there's this gray alien. And I look to my body, and there's like, I got long fingers, and I got this spacesuit on, and I got these skinny, like, legs. And I'm like, I'm a gray alien. And it felt so normal. It felt absolutely normal. Mm. And I, I was kind of baffled. And, and, and I even said at the moment, I said, actually, you know what I said this? I said this in the session with Mary. I said, it feels like I ended up in this ship in my astral form, in my spirit form, in a non-physical form. And they had this rubber suit waiting for me, like it was on a coat hanger, just waiting for me. And I just went, whoosh, mm. and I zipped into the suit, and I just stepped right off the coat hanger and started walking down the hall. Mm. Now, suddenly I'm in this conference room. I don't remember walking through a door. I'm suddenly in this conference room. And let me tell you, this conference room is the ugliest conference room imaginable. It, was, it seemed fake. It was like a had ugly carpeting and fluorescent lighting and these crappy folding tables and and I did not feel like something on board a flying saucer. Let me tell you, it felt like a cheap stage set. And I'm facing these beings, and they're all kind of fuzzed out, but I certainly get the impression that they're gray aliens. And I say to them, "What am I doing here?" And they say, "You volunteered for this." I'm like, "What do you mean I volunteered for this? What does that mean? What am I doing here?" And they say. Now is the time. I'm like, what does that mean, now is the time? What do you? What am I doing here? And they say, you volunteered for this. And I'd ask a question. They go, now is the time. We got stuck in this little tape loop where it was just, and all of a sudden, all of a sudden, I started sobbing on the couch. And I pointed a finger at these beings. And I, I swore I was dropping the F-bomb. I was like so angry. And it's almost unlistenable. The, the power and emotion of the session. Like to listen to the audio that was recorded while I was lying on the couch is brutal. And mm. transcribing it was very hard. So it's like there came this snap where all of a sudden I understood something and I pointed at these beings and I'm like, you never told me it would be this hard. You never told me it would be this difficult. You never told me about sadness. You never told me about loneliness. You You didn't tell me this. And they just looked at me completely blank and said, you volunteered for this. And I I was so angry. I said, you you had like I was just angry that that I had lived this life with these negative emotions, sadness, loneliness, depression, all these things that no one warned me about. Now, it went on and on, there was this back and forth and back and forth, and then boom. I I literally felt like I deflated on the couch. On, on Yvonne's couch, like, like just like mm-hmm. someone, like I, like I was a pool toy, you know, those pool toys that like, like yeah. float on the, so I was like this pool toy that was like lying on the couch and it felt like someone just, it was like too rigid. Like I was too tense. Like they would put too much air in the pool toy and I was tense, tense, tense. And I was just rigid from, from my toes to the top of my head. And it just like someone tapped me with a pin and I just deflated. It felt like my heart stopped. It was so calm. Mm-hmm. So I went from absolutely irate, angry, sobbing to so calm, it felt like my heart stopped. She asked me a few more questions, and it felt like she said, what happened? What did they tell you? And I said, I think, I think they told me something, but I don't know it yet. I don't know what it is yet. Like if this was a, a, a movie and I was a spy and someone handed me the envelope, I am not allowed to open that envelope yet. Mm. And there's a, some other things that came out. But after that 
event. I'm turning the clock back now to 2013. Within 48 hours of me having that event under the stars in southern Utah, I began writing a book, which is titled The Messengers, which is which has been a huge deal for me to put that book out. Yeah. And I, I put forth some ideas about owls and UFO contact. And it has been, for a fringe little book like this, it's been very well received. Now, the session in 2017 and 2018, like that was three and four years after the book had been published. Yeah. And, and I started that book 48 hours after having this, what seems to be a memory of being a, being here for some purpose. Mm. Like they're basically saying, now is the time. And I started mm. this book almost immediately after the event. Now, here's where I'm at right now. Okay, I'm gonna, I'll edit all that down. It'll it'll be much shorter for the listeners, And but I wanted to give you the whole thing. Um, I, I know enough about myself. Like I cannot fit it in my head that, that this really happened. Yeah. Like, it's much easier for me to say, I was presented with a powerful parable, like a myth. I was presented with a myth of some sort. And I'm taking this myth seriously. It's very difficult for me to take this as literal truth. Yeah. That, this, that I was truly out of body in the form of a gray alien on the spaceship. What I can do is take three steps back, see it in symbolic terms, see it in metaphoric terms, see it in mythic terms. And maybe I'm... Maybe this is a cop out, but I'm I, it, I can remain more balanced framing it that way, and I think the benefits are just as real no matter how I look at it. Hmm. There, I'll, okay, I held the floor long enough here. I'll turn it over to you. <laughs> um, maybe it would be best for me to just offer what came through to me and and what I was feeling and connecting in my own mind from when you were telling the story, Mike. How would that be? Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Please. If you heard my pen scrolling in the background, I was just making some interesting notes. You know, there's um, your experience is very similar to so many other people's. And one of the things that I've discovered through the quantum consciousness work that I've been doing for a while now as well, which, you know, Michael was helpful in mentoring me with that for a while before he passed, is that we are very natural in non-human form. You know, sometimes we're far more natural in non-human form than what we are in these heavy, dense bodies. Now, I mentioned roughly 800 or so of the Life Between Life sessions. One of the things that I love to toss in there uh, is, have you ever incarnated on another planet or in another dimension? And I've only ever had two people say no. And so I think that they just weren't ready to see it, to be honest. But every other person has said yes, and I say ask to be shown, and they're shown some form of other life that they have um, incarnated as or, or existed in or whatever that may be that is non-human. I think that's a very natural phenomenon for us to understand that we are so much more than human form. Now, if we really want to give this um, planet a shake, if we really want to change the consciousness of what's happening here, it's really, really important for people who are more used to a different type of form to incarnate into human form and to bring the shift in the collective consciousness that that brings to get us ready for disclosure and for understanding more of our cosmic roots, whatever you want to call it. 
but that's basically um, who we are and who we're meant to be. We are universal citizens about to take our place amongst the stars. You know, so um, what I sense your experience to be is a simple expression where you were in contact with the multidimensional form that you are and you were existing in a different type of body. Now, last year when I went to UFO Megacon uh, down in uh, Laughlin, down in Nevada, and um, they're kicking that, con- that conference off again in a few weeks so for this year as well. But, but last year I went down and, and I took um, two slots in the presentations, and one was about talking about Michael Newton's work and how it's moved through Traveller Souls and how we're seeing those trends emerge in the sessions around the world. But the second one was about the quantum consciousness work that I do, and that was about we move people out through different realms of consciousness, and we ask to be taken to an interdimensional realm where people are in other form. Now, I put forward 100 cases, and I'm I'm circling back around to something here that's important. Um, People who've incarnated into other forms and other dimensions, there were three main ones that come up, and one is that they are part of a group consciousness. The second one is they're part of an an energy form that is outside of the physical form. And the third is that they're they're in a form of life that is a different type of body. And a lot of those people experienced amphibious bodies. Now, of the hundred, there were incredible numbers of permeations, but maybe I had, you know, roughly 20 to somewhere between 15 and 25% in those three categories. But one of the things that um, I've exhibited, and this fits back with your story about the group consciousness, there's about a number of clients over the years who've been part of a collective consciousness themselves and a piece of that consciousness has come off and that's the courageous part that takes the human form. And, you know, my knowledge of the, the grey alien phenomenon is not great, but what I would suggest is that there's a, a telepathic connection between the different forms that mean that we don't have the same unique individual consciousness that we share as humans. But a piece of that, somebody has to do the research. Somebody has to come down here and has to experience the difficulties of human form in order for groups to learn. Now, the cases that I've had over the years of this type of phenomenon, none have been actually in the grey alien type bodies, but lots of other ones, is that everything they learn goes back to the collective. So they're here as the field operative, if you like, and by learning and experiencing everything, the collective benefits. Okay, so the implication is that that my existence here, if we follow your model, mm-hmm. is being downloaded, let's say, uh, you know, hyperlinked to a collective mm-hmm. consciousness in some other realm. Doesn't matter mm-hmm. time and space, distance is irrelevant. It's zapping to them immediately, mm-hmm. and they are using this knowledge of my human existence, which has actually been pretty good for the most part, but, you know, for, but there's like, you know, dramas and heavy things and, you know, parents dying and, and sadness as well as great joys and powerful elation and stuff like that. So, Mm. um, so that's all going back to them. And that is, there's a reason and a necessity for that. Well, yeah, it's all part of the learning. It's all part of the connecting. It's about them understanding the human form better so they can, you know, maybe play a role in, helping us steer towards a greater consciousness. I mean, I would imagine, and I've seen this in a lot of clients over the years, that one of the reasons that you might be drawn so much to the outdoors is that Mother Nature has her own vibration that is far higher than the concrete jungles that we've built that uh, are now our cities. 
And the fact that you're drawn to the outdoors could be, you know, just something that's more natural in the frequency and vibration that resonates more for you. That would make perfect sense to me. I've heard that from many people over the years. And and I don't know if you know this, and I'm not sure if my listeners know this, but I spent uh, whew, like about 25 plus years teaching outdoor work in very remote wilderness settings, basically taking people without any camping skills into a wilderness experience. Mm. And my job is to teach them to camp, which I do very well. But my deeper job is to teach them to appreciate the wilderness in a way that they simply can't through a book or through taking a, mm. a walk in the in the woods for an afternoon. Mm. Mm. Exactly. Now, I mean, your your, um, your story also fits. Are you fam familiar with the work that Free? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. I, I know Ray Hernandez well, yeah. Yeah. Well, Ray presented at the UFO Megacon last year with their, their first chunk of volume one of, you know, their publication, The Science of Consciousness and Contact with Non-Human Intelligence. And in that, they postulated that there are different contact modalities, and one of them is the out-of-body experience. So, you know, and people leaving their body, um, you know, so there's an incredible amount of research based on 3,200 um, interviews with people that they did over a four-year period. And it's a fantastic piece of research that talks about how uh, the majority of contact with off-world type thing is, um, is positive. It's something like 90% from memory. I'm just I'm going off sitting in the audience about a, um, a year ago when I was there with the free guys at this conference. But um, what I've heard that you expressing through the session with Yvonne was really just um, a very understandable distress about the difficulty of being in human form rather than actually being traumatized by a contact experience. Um Oh, yeah, I let me interrupt. Yeah, yeah. So the contact experience is not traumatizing. Human in life yeah. here is traumatizing. Given <laughs> given what I given what emerged out of that session, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly, and and yeah, absolutely. You know, I've had so many people in a, a beautiful expanded states over the years, Mike, where they've said it is just so hard here. I mean, what was I thinking? You know, to come here and to be part of this heavy, dense energy. I mean, I, you know, I, I know I chose to come here and came here and you know often we'll put those people back in touch with um, an environment that they're more familiar with you know i've got something that i was teaching in a workshop down here a while back uh, called cosmic consciousness and i was teaching practitioners do when they have this type of client to simply take them home to take them to the place where they most resonate in the whole universe and to link them to that vibration so that they always have that as a foundationary experience and a trickle of energy coming through to them no matter how they go through their lives from this point forward, you know, because they're basically a lot of these people are homesick. I have heard that many times. Yes, that's actually in the checklist. I, I, I went for a period. I was so obsessed over this for a while, and I, I collected all the questionnaires that were available online. Yeah. This was a decade ago I did this. Yeah. And, and all of them, there were some questions you would you would suspect. Some of them had like 80 questions. Some of them were kind of ridiculously long questionnaires. And, you know, one of the questions, there's some obvious ones. Have you ever seen a UFO? Have you ever had missing time? These kinds of things. But there's some weird ones in there. Mm -hmm. One of them is, mm -hmm. do you look at the stars and feel homesick? Oh, I love that. That question in one form or another is in almost all of those questionnaires. So these are UFO abduction researchers that create these questionnaires. So that that's very telling to me. Do you feel homesick? Yeah, from my field, that's a great indicator. Another one is, you know, when we go through the Michael Newton method and, 
you know, or, or something similar to that. And we go back through pre-birth and we look at the, you know, the when the soul enters the fetus. You know, often people will remark to me, you know, when did you join the fetus? Well, I, you know, I came in a bit later. I came in at about five or six months' time. And I say, well, help me understand why you came in so late. And they'll say something like, well, I don't like these dense bodies. Well, this is really quite different to me. Um, you know, when I, I talked about the quantum consciousness experience, when we go out through different realities, and, you know, I talked about the interdimensional. I've got a dear colleague who um, shared a case with us about how when they said, can you go to a different type of form or a different type of dimension? And she actually turned up in a mother's womb in her awareness. And so my colleague said, well, why do you, uh, why do you see this as a, um, an, another form of life? And that was because she was an off-world soul. So for her, the human body was uh, the piece that looked more extraterrestrial, which we thought was a fascinating flip on the research we've been doing. What what advice would you give to someone who is struggling with this homesickness, who is struggling with this feeling of 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 heaviness, of not wanting to be here? Mike, the first thing I always, always say to those people is thank you for coming. You know, I know that this is a tough gig here and we are so grateful that you've come here in order to help us to blend the consciousness of humanity with the universe itself. You're an absolute hero. You know, those people have, um, have really moved into the energy of service in order to help us with the transition of consciousness here. So the first thing I say to them is thank you. And the second thing I'll say is um, tell me about home. What do you do? You get flashes? Do you get an understanding? Uh, what happens when you're outside at night? Look up at the stars. To use your wonderful question from before, and what I'll do is, and, and this is a, a you know, a, a linkage or a, an association. You know, in hypnosis terms, you might call it a, a, an effect bridge or a feelings bridge. Go into your homesickness and really, really embrace the feelings. So when you drop them into the vibration of the homesickness. Within that homesickness needs to be the vibration of home. Otherwise, you wouldn't be feeling the homesickness. So we developed a technique where you can just take them into the homesickness and say, right, take us home. And their awareness shoots off across the universe somewhere and they describe where they're truly from, where they're most familiar with, and we just anchor them in that vibration so they can carry it with them for all time. So, And that eradicates the homesickness. Earlier I think in the first segment, I talked about the orbs, making the orbs. Yeah. Now, I'm just going to read something here, and I'm roughly paraphrasing this because I had to transcribe it from an audio book a little bit. So in the book, A Destiny of Souls, Michael Newton wrote, listening to the many stories about the space of transformation, his clients would describe this in-between realm as the true ultimate reality. So the in-between realm, this life between lives, is the true reality. And they call this space, our present waking reality, as an altered reality. <laughs> now, now we've, t we've danced around that a little bit, but this shows up in the UFO lore too. Mm. This, the fact that, you know, when being on board the craft, they're like, oh, this is real. This is real. And when you get back to Earth, it's like, oh, no, this is like, this is the projection. This is the simulation. I read one account. I can't remember where I read it. A woman, I believe, who had had UFO contact experiences said, this reality where we are in right now is like 
is like the two-dimensional flat movie screen. Like you can look at the movie screen and see this story being played out, but it's flat. Mm. Where where I was when I was in connection with these UFO beings or these aliens or these others, whatever term you want to use, that was the real reality. And you hear the same thing with people who have a near-death experience. Mm. Yeah. Well, we can call it the matrix if you like. But there's any number of terms. Sure, there's all kinds of terms. And then there's terms that an ancient shaman would use, like, you know, back in the plains of South Dakota, you know, 500 years ago before the white man appeared. You know, they would have a perfectly adequate term for it, too. I think, you know, beyond the veil is just as good as anything else. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, for my mind, um, and Michael's books are quite clear in this, and I've said it from my own experiences doing this work as well, is that this is a school. This is a place of learning and understanding, but what we learn here has a ripple effect into the afterlife. It's not like all bets are off, we just learn here and we go back and everything's the same. There's, you know, I mean, we can talk about this in terms of universal oneness, we can talk quantum entanglement, we can talk the interconnectivity of all things in any way you like. I mean, you can even, you know, you can even bring in a couple of religious quotes and, you know, it's all the same thing. I mean, ultimately, what happens in one place ripples into the others. The change in consciousness on this planet is something that ripples into the universe itself, which is why there's so much attention being drawn from across time and space into the here and the now. But, yeah, absolutely, uh, we come here to learn, grow, and uh, some would say evolve or even remember our immortal essence to live um, our full spiritual being in human form. I mean, that's really what the journey's about. Uh, everything, you know, that is around us is an illusion. I mean, I'm sitting at a desk, I'm looking out of the countryside. I mean, it looks quite beautiful in, in early morning Australia, but, you know, ultimately um, it's all an illusion. But we've got to have this illusion, we've got to be part of this same illusion together uh, so that we can all learn and grow together and um, change the vibration of this reality which ripples into the other. Okay, uh, let's get back to the orbs here. Sure. There was a point in Destiny of Souls where uh, one of the clients told this story. They were speaking as if they were their, their higher self or their soul self, let's say. And they said, oh, well, we play this game. And then there was all these colors in this game. And then you generate these orbs and you would throw them. And then they would be – the orb would bounce back. And he never quite knew who it was going to bounce back to. And there was he was describing like a playful game with these floating orbs. It was unclear where the realm was where this was all taking place. And they would actually say – or excuse me. And the that individual said that the that the game with the orb impacted their next life, like the, what seemed like random chance. Like I, I had the image of basically being in a racquetball court and these orbs being bounced around at high speed and it's fun and playful. And mm -hmm. But the, the orb you didn't expect would land – against you or you would catch it, let's say, and that would influence your next life. I think I'm paraphrasing that right. Now, here's what shows up in the UFO lore. I've read this many times and I've – in one book, it was written by a woman named Susie Hansen. She describes sitting in a circle. I think she was actually a child. She remembers this from being a child and she remembers being asked to create an orb. And she said, well, I don't really know what you mean. And then she would focus her mind and, and this orb would appear in her – in front of her. And she – was very clear that this orb had consciousness. This, Like she was generating or channeling or focusing a form of consciousness in, in this floating etheric orb. 
and it and then they would play with it. Then it was a very playful game that children would play, and it it paralleled not exactly, but it paralleled somewhat cleanly the story I just told that came from um, uh, Destiny of Souls. Yeah, and are you hearing this kind of thing in your in your work? One of the things that we see, particularly in the LBL work, is one of the interlife activities, if we can call it that, what people do um, with their time while they're in the spiritual realm is they learn to manipulate and work with energy. Now, some people will describe what it's like to create planets and that sort of thing. Other people will talk about, you know, how to um, change their energy fields, how to work with energy in any sort of way. But to actually bring form to something and to create energy is something that we've seen lots of cases of over the years. So, the, yeah, it really resonates for me. I think that in a universe that is full of energy and us as being, you know, creators of so much more than we know, uh, it makes perfect sense to me that we would practice from time to time in how to create energy. Before we go, can you leave us with one story, one story that, that meant a lot to you, that's, that, uh, that helped you in all this? Well, you know, we have... Um, we have these challenges in human form and, you know, we go through the myriad of emotions that are, you know, uh, I think come to us, Mike, to allow us the opportunity to break free from them. And I had a lady who came for a Life Between Lives session and she spent much of the last decade looking after her mother. And her mother was a cantankerous uh, lady who was in poor health and they had history from a difficult childhood for my client and, you know, it hadn't been the, the best match um, in life. And um, so she came with her list of things that she wanted to explore. And at the end of it, she said, and, you know, I'd just like, really like to know. She didn't really want to do the mother thing, but she said, I'd just like to know if mum's okay. Anyway, so we went into a past life. It was a powerful past life. And we went beyond the past life. And she's just entering the spiritual realm. And she got stuck at uh, the entrance point of the spiritual realm. And we did everything. And we said, you know, tried to move her forward, tried to release what was holding her back, looked at any traumas that were left over from the past lifetime, anything that was in the client's uh, energy field from this lifetime that might be traumatic, that might be holding her back. And in the end, her guide came and her guide showed up, her spiritual mentor, if you like. And um, he turned his back on her and crossed his arms. Now, this was, you know, I'd never seen anything like this before. So it was, um, it was difficult. And, you know, I did everything I could do, she did everything she could do, and in the end I just said, can somebody come and help? And guess who shows up? That's mum. So mum came and, and mum, the client had all these lists, and her mum came and she went back and forth to the guide. She got all the answers. She became this incredible go-between, and she actually ended up almost facilitating this lady's Life Between Lives session and making it all happen. So let me happen. let me interrupt. So the the the, the spirit of the mother, yeah. who she had a hard relationship with in this life in this reality, yeah. was then the facilitator. Yeah, she's you know, she's going off. She's getting all the answers. She's bringing them back, all that sort of stuff. So this this client actually um, did a life between life session in collaboration with her mother, and they had been so disconnected and so she'd been so traumatized by her in this lifetime. So it was this incredible flip. And in the end, she was in tears, I was in tears, you know, it was an incredibly moving experience. And towards the end of the session, she noticed that the spiritual guide that had had his back, he turned around, he looked over his shoulder and he just smiled. And the whole thing was a setup to, you know, just reconnect her with the, 
soul of her mother and to release a lifetime of distress at the hands of her mother, knowing that there was a deeper soul contract at play. So the reason I tell this story, Mike, is that, you know, sometimes our most difficult circumstances or the toughest relationships that we have in this life have been designed to bring us into a place of learning and understanding. Sometimes there's so much more to the story than we know. And just trust, you know, one of the things that I say to people is that every moment of every day, your soul knows exactly what it's doing. And if the human part of us is confused or sad or whatever, just pause and go within and know that your soul is looking after you through every peak and trough in this lifetime. This is a beautiful point to end this interview. I don't think we could... I don't think I could go any farther. I have more questions. I don't know. It would do, wouldn't do any good to ask him at this point, just having heard what you just said there. How do people get a hold of you if they want to contact you? Well, Mark, I've got a, a website, quantumconsciousness.com.au for Australia. Uh, our work at, uh, is also instituteforquantumconsciousness.com. Uh, the Newton Institute, we've got practitioners in lots of different places all around the world. That's newtoninstitute.org, and that's for the for the Michael Newton work. So you know we're um, we're grateful to be able to get the word out there to talk to the people that listen to this, Mark. Thank you for what you do and for helping us bring a message to the world that was so much more than what we are. Hey, and I'm just let's. You wrote a book called Quantum Consciousness, and it was published in 2018. Let's give it. I haven't. I didn't ask anything. I'm horrible. That <laughs> 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 was terrible of me not to say anything. So. Um, uh, I would love to hear more about it because I don't know much about it. Okay. Well, Quantum Consciousness, um, uh, Journey Through Other Realms, is a book that I wrote from you know what's now 500 cases of research. And it's about how we expand somebody out in a higher vibration through different realms of consciousness. Uh, we visit the stored consciousness, which might be things that we hold in this lifetime. We visit alternate realities. Uh, we go into past lives, which I call parallel lives once they're outside of time and space. We move into interdimensional consciousness and that in out into the fabric of the cosmos itself and just allow people to rest. And that's the experience that the book's based on. But ultimately, the, the book is about helping us to understand the overlaps between spirituality and science. I draw a lot on the quantum physics concepts of, you know, what I call the creator effect, which is based on the observer effect, the holographic universe, which is, you know, holographic healing. We heal in one life. We can heal in others talks about quantum entanglement, which I call entanglement, because everything that we have is in different versions of ourselves, in other bodies and other places and other dimensions. Um, yeah, so, um, and the laws of non-locality. I mean, we are everywhere in the universe at once, and, you know, I call that everywhereness because that's where we are. So it's a, you know, it's a great book. It was um, published by Llewellyn back in 2018. And from time to time, we come across to the States and other places and do little workshops and events. But, um, yeah, all of this, whether it's Life Between Lives or the quantum consciousness work, all of it is designed to just help people understand that there are, there are so much more that we can explore. And, you know, if I could give anyone advice, it would be we tend to get locked into a therapeutic model. But my practical advice to people is don't do therapy, do discovery. Go looking for the answers. Don't go looking for your traumas go looking for the answers and the reasons behind everything and that takes you on an incredible journey thank you very much I, I hope our paths cross someday and we actually get to meet I like that Mark thank you very good very good this has been a delight thank you
This is Mike, and I am chiming in after the editing. Just after the second break, at about the halfway point in the interview, I told a story that I have probably told too many times here. Uh, This was my own experience with a hypnosis session in the fall of 2018. Now, I fully realize that I have shared this one story on this show more than maybe I should have. And for people who might have heard it too many times, I apologize. But that experience, my personal experience, was at the forefront in my mind as I read Michael Newton's book, Destiny of Souls. What was described in that book mirrored, in many ways, my own story. And that was a big part of the reason why I asked Peter to be a guest on my show. Now, I have said this many times, but part of the reason I do this podcast series is because it is my therapy, and I am not exaggerating. I am using this show to try to wrestle with some unknown parts of myself and and hopefully to come to terms with my life experiences. So to you, the listeners, thank you for being patient with me as I try to do two things. I want to offer up interesting interviews while at the same time I do not want to ignore my own issues, and how they tie in to the work I'm doing on this podcast. I I had a question for Peter that I never quite got to ask. We, we in essence, answered it, but I had it written down very formally, and I'm going to read it here. And, And basically what I was doing was pointing out that the similarities between Dr. Newton's work and a long list of other research and modes of thought. I see this life between lives work as very similar to Michael Harner's shamanic work, and he wrote an amazing book called The Cave and the Cosmos. And I also see a very real similarity between the channeled works of Neil Donald Walsh and Jane Roberts, and they both have a series of books, respectively, Conversations with God and Seth Speaks. I also see it in Dolores Cannon's work, as well as stories of psychedelic journeys with either ayahuasca or mushrooms. And it also shows up in the near-death experience and in deep states of meditation. I suspect there are a few more examples that I'm missing, but for now that'll do. Now, I see all of these examples as experiences that use symbolic elements to convey not a surface truth, but a deeper truth. During the interview, Peter said this of his work, and I'll roughly quote him. He said that it allows an understanding of our cosmic roots, or whatever you want to call it, but it's basically allowing an insight to who we are and who we are meant to be. And this would mean that we are universal citizens about to take our place among the stars. And that's pretty close to what Peter said during our talk. That sounds very much like something Dr. Leo Sprinkle would say. This man is one of my heroes in the field, and it is not surprising that he also uses hypnosis for both past life and UFO contact investigations. It feels like this tool, this contentious tool within the UFO research community, hypnosis, can tap into not just hidden memories— and there's a lot of debate about that, but it can also allow a very therapeutic experience with past lives, or given what we've just listened to, the point between two lives. 
if you've made it this far, thank you so much. Bye now.